Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name is Aditya Bahadur, and I'm the host of Action for Adaptation, a podcast from the Adaptation Research Alliance. The ARA is a global coalition responding to the challenges of climate change, specifically by ensuring that knowledge, innovation, and collaboration shape adaptation action on the ground. We are a group of researchers, funders, policymakers, development institutions, and grassroots organizations from over 40 countries who are committed to building a climate resilient future. In this podcast, we introduce the people behind the ARA. We look at the catalyst for its founding in 2021, its remarkable trajectory to COP26, and the ambitious agenda it aims to achieve next. Finally, we'll tell you how you can get involved. If you think of an asteroid hurtling towards Earth, that just requires one single effort, right, to destroy it or move it off course. We've all seen that movie, and the problem is solved. But adaptation is the exact opposite of that. It needs sustained and combined insights and skills and efforts of everybody to be addressed. And the solutions will look different depending on where you are. So an alliance helps ensure that the right solutions are developed in the right places and at the right times. To get into this topic, I've asked one of the principal architects and co-chairs of the Adaptation Research Alliance, Professor Anand Patwardhan, to give us some insight into the who, what, and why. Of the ARA, if you open even the first page of the uh, IPCC's uh, report that was just released a month ago, and and that report makes it very clear that climate change is not of the not a problem of the far remote distant future, but it is in the here and now. It is in the intense rainfall that you see when a hurricane hits. uh it is in the devastating wildfires that seem to be now a regular phenomenon in many parts of the world um it is seen in the devastating floods that are seen now in many parts of the world where a, a rare event now starts becoming much more frequent and that's exactly how it is being manifested uh whether it's in uh it's a subsistence a smallholder farmer in sub-saharan africa whether it's a uh someone living in an informal settlement in a flood prone coastal city or it's a rich uh, suburban home living in in uh, a developed country like the united states that experiences wildfires so it's it's really something that is apparent today which also means that our responses need to happen and the way we manage that risk needs to happen at a scale in urgency far greater than seems to be the case at the moment and that really is and that scale in urgency really is the motivation behind the uh, creation of the alliance that we have a window of opportunity uh, to act and that window is closing quickly but in order to act we need to be well informed and we need to have the right knowledge uh, that will support that action What was the biggest challenge faced by the ARA? We are all very used to working in our own silos. Again, as an academic, I'm very comfortable attending academic conferences, presenting my work to other fellow academics, and that's kind of how each of these communities uh, often work. So, one of the biggest challenges, of course, is precisely to manage this diversity and to make sure that there is an environment that is. conducive welcoming inclusive that people feel uh that their contributions are in fact valued and then 
and that they have something to offer that others uh, uh, don't have and, and are, are finding it helpful. Uh, the other challenge, I think, uh, comes a little bit because of the nature of adaptation, right? So adaptation is something that uh, is not uh, housed in any particular ministry within a government, or it's indeed not even housed in the government uh, in most cases. It is uh, something that uh, starts with even individuals and households that respond to these risks, but then communities uh, cities, a real diversity of actors who have to undertake adaptation action. And that's the other challenge is that there isn't a single uh, unifying, obvious unifying theme, except for the common objective that we, are all, we all care about, you know, reducing the vulnerability and building the resilience of those, those who are vulnerable, right? That's the only common feature. But other than that, it's a very dispersed agenda. And that's the other challenge is how do you create, uh, again, uh, an alliance that, uh, that addresses such a, um, a varied action agenda. And lastly, I asked Anand to share with us where he sees the ARA going in the future. You know, going back to the launch of the ARA at COP26 and then even the IPCC reports that have come out, right? So this is kind of, in a sense, the decade of, for action. So this is, uh, has been variously referred to as the make or break decade, the decade that will determine, you know, a lot of what happens in the future. And that's as much true of mitigation and reducing emissions as it is true of, of adaptation. Uh, so where, where I'm hoping uh, to see the ARA, you know, by the end of this decade is that it really becomes, uh, you know, a very visible and key player in the space of action that we have been able to mobilize the research community, really empower and connect the research community, especially in the global south, uh, into the domain of action with their national governments, with supporting, analyzing, providing the information that needed by uh, city governments, by national governments, by a variety of actors uh, to, to respond. And they've been able to do that in a way that's forward-looking that thinks about the future and that really thinks about how they can uh, not just uh, somehow cope with the risks but actually do better even in a changing climate. The ARA kicked off officially in 2021 at the Kobeshina Conference, which is a major event for those of us involved in climate and development. Work to build the ARA has gathered steam since then, attracting members from across the globe. I chatted to Jesse Demaria Kinney the ARA's Head of Secretariat, about the Alliance's rapid development. Jesse shared his top three moments for the Alliance at this time and what the rapid growth of the ARA tells us about the adaptation community right now. There have been so many high points, um, as well as quite a few challenges in, in this first phase of the Alliance. Uh, choosing three would be, would be a little difficult. Um, but clearly the formal launch of the ARA at COP26 was a top moment. Um, being a bit concerned about, you know, making sure we, we filled up a, a large space to having it become standing room only from the start um, and a one in one out throughout the event was, was clearly um, a, a great feeling. Another top moment um, would definitely be the, the membership campaign that was leading up to, to COP26 at the, at the Gobi Shona conference. Um, the ARA was supported by 33 organizations, 
who endorsed the Gobashona Declaration. And through quite a bit of, of hard work and networking, uh, at the launch we had nearly 100 members. In fact, the 100th member, who was the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, IUCN, um, joined during the event. So really that, that growth um, in a relatively short period of time was, was quite impressive. And as I mentioned, um, there's so many activities going on, it is tough to say, but I think that that would be the, the other top moment, would just be the, the number of various activities with members, such as the evidence reviews, the consultative processes, um, the microgrants, climate risk learning journeys. So these ongoing activities that members are really contributing to and leading um, is definitely one of the other high points, as, as we hope this is the way that the ARA works in the future as well. What does the growth of the ARA tell you about the adaptation community right now? I think there's two important pieces to this, to, to the answer. Um, the first is that, uh, as I mentioned, we're headed in the right direction. We're doing something that not just us, but our members, uh, now 139 organizations, feel like is essential. But I think also equally as important is that it tells us that the adaptation community is ready to act. Um, we know there are still some uncertainties around the specific climate impacts and the best or the most effective adaptation responses. But we also know that the time to act is now. The ARA is open to a broad spectrum of members, everyone from funders to researchers, development bodies, government organizations, and even grassroots organizations. I asked Jesse to outline the benefits of membership of the Adaptation Research Alliance. We welcome members. Um, and in fact, the broad spectrum uh, is one of the aspects that I would like to highlight about the ARA. Um, we welcome members from action funders to research funders to international organizations and government organizations down to uh, NGOs, civil society and grassroots organizations. And I think one of the benefits um, is that we can actually link up these organizations. So it's not only that we can link the international institutions down to the grassroots organizations. And when I say link, I mean provide those communication channels. Um, really actually allow communication uh, and coordination amongst these organizations from the global to the local. But also if you were to look at it as an XY axis, you know, working across the spectrum, as we said, is that that spectrum of working from research and knowledge generation all the way to planning and implementation on the ground. The Adaptation Research Alliance had its official launch at the 26th Conference of Parties 4,000 is the number of soccer pitches of forests lost per hour. Negative 27.5% is today's Arctic ice area compared to historic values. 10 is the number of years within which Mount Kenya and Mount Kilimanjaro glaciers may disappear with current emission trends. Dr. Purti Sapatnikar was one of the people leading the charge on behalf of the Adaptation Research Alliance as its policy advisor for governance and partnerships. Kurti, a very warm welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Aditya. Pleasure to be here. Kurti, what is a conference of parties of COP and describe the atmosphere in this year's conference? Yeah, um, well, a COP, which is short for Conference of Parties, is an annual gathering of the countries that have committed to act on climate change, which is almost all countries in the world. So governments have been gathering to negotiate at COPs since the 1990s uh, to avoid catastrophic harm to life on this planet, mainly by reducing emissions of greenhouse gases uh, and increasingly over the last uh, years adapting to climate change uh, already happening. 
So those not familiar with the COP uh, often wonder why is there a need for such a meeting at all? Why do countries need to negotiate each year if they've agreed to act? And the challenge is that climate action requires a huge shift in our economies. The world runs on fossil fuels, as we all know, and the way countries have lifted themselves out of poverty is by exploiting coal, oil, gas. Uh, and so now we're saying that we can't use that same path anymore because it causes climate change. So this has been seen as unfair by many developing countries who have viewed that the burden of action uh, needs to be taken up by developed countries. And over the years, this has been a big bone of contention requiring negotiation. There's also the key question of finance. Climate action requires not just billions, but trillions of dollars in investment. So who pays? And how do we, do we avoid some countries from shirking their responsibilities? So deciding these rules of the game so that they're both effective and fair has been the focus of the negotiations at COP uh, over the years. Uh, I, I think of the climate COPs as uh, history's kind of largest experiment in building trust amongst people. Um, you asked me about the atmosphere at the last COP in Glasgow. Um, so, as I said, the COP is a negotiating place, but over the years it's become much more than that. It's become also a gathering place for stakeholders from uh, all walks of life, from NGOs to multinational companies, mayors, governors, philanthropic organizations uh, gather there. And so Glasgow was very much a next step in this tradition. So to me it felt like a festival, like an Indian Mela. The huge presence of people from all walks of life uh, made the corridors really Really lively. I felt there was sort of a sense of joint purpose in the air. Okay, thanks for that. Really evocative. Now, paint us a picture of the launch of the ERA at the COP. And can you describe for us some of the main outcomes and how these outcomes might benefit the 140 plus members of the alliance? Uh, so I think that the formation of an alliance with, uh, at the time, over 100 members, now over 140, as you said, that really reflects the ecosystem of actors that are needed for adaptation was a pretty major outcome in itself. So we had large international organizations to grassroots NGOs. We had donor countries, philanthropists, uh, philanthropists research institutes, all, all part of this alliance. And this is significant because more often than not, commitments to climate actions are made by largely similar actors. You have alliances of cities or alliances of companies. But here the ARA is really an alliance of unlikely bedfellows, which I saw as, as pretty major. And we really saw that in our high-level launch event. Our speakers included, for example, a former prime minister. We had a grassroots NGO worker talking to a research professor, speaking with a tech company executive, uh, etc. Um, and not only that, the launch also saw a commitment to finance. So the alliance was backed by real money behind it from the beginning. Uh, the UK, Canada and Australia all announced on that day over $100 million in funding uh, for goals and priorities that were very well aligned with the ARA. The CLARE program um, launched by the, the, by the UK and Canada um, was also a big signal that the ARA was more than just rhetoric, which is huge, uh, hugely beneficial to the ARA members. It's not just uh, talk, it's actual action. Uh, so even as the negotiators at COP were highlighting that there's a huge need for adaptation finance, the ARA was actually demonstrating this in real time, that practical progress was, was being made. And third, as a major outcome, I would see the event itself, the launch event. You know, as you mentioned, I was supporting the launch organization on the ground. There was a huge team supporting it. But not only was the room completely packed, it was, I mean, it was standing room only. But even towards the end of the event, when you sort of inevitably have audience members needing to leave, um, there were others entering the room to take their place. And I saw that there was a line out of the door throughout the event with people hoping to enter, which, is, uh, which reflects the, the importance of the ARA.
Thanks, Purti. I think that's really clear. To me, I think one of the other interesting outcomes or announcements at the launch was the initiation of the ARA's micro-grant program, uh, where small but uh, significant sums of money were being given to ARA members to explore critical challenges around adaptation that are important for them and to inform the agenda of the Alliance. And I think we're going to learn uh, more about that in another podcast. Now, looking ahead, could you tell us how, in your opinion, should the ARA engage in the next COP, COP27, which is in Sharm el-Sheikh in Egypt? Yeah, so COP27 will be the first COP that's truly focused on implementation. Uh, and by this, I mean that the negotiations between countries on who does what and the rules of the game that I mentioned earlier were, were concluded at COP26. So the focus now is on action, which means that ARA's engagement at COP27 needs to be all about walking the talk uh, and really demonstrating how the COPs matter for people on the ground. Um, and looking at what came out of COP26 and the preparations for COP27, I see two particular pathways for ARA to engage. Um, we have the two-year work plan on the global goal for adaptation. And uh, with its full ecosystem of actors as its members, the ARA can really situate itself as a strategic partner of choice for this work program. It's, a, it's its comparative advantage, I feel. Uh, but also the ARA can support the loss and damage agenda at COP uh, through the Santiago network and the dedicated funds, uh, and it can really help shape the initial set of projects and programs that are being taken up. Thanks, Puti. I think that's absolutely right. And I think we set the bar quite high because when I was at the launch of the ARA um, at COP26, uh, the senior climate and development actor, the head of an organization, an IPCC author, uh, came up to us and said it was uh, the best adaptation-focused event that he attended uh, at the Conference of Parties. So, um, yes, we've got our tasks set out for ourselves um, over the next few months in the run-up to COP27. Purti, thanks so much for those really valuable insights and for joining us today. The ARA is a truly global coalition. Its membership spans 40 countries representing the breadth of the adaptation community. These members are the heart of the Alliance. Let's hear what they think of the ARA. IISD joined the ARA to extend our reach and impact on adaptation. We really felt that the ARA would introduce us to new types of research actors and help us co-create and implement exciting and innovative research that would have lasting effects for adaptation and resilience building around the world. Actually, Myanmar has joined the ARA because it believes that it is one of the most effective collective platforms to tackle climate change. Uh, today is the moment for us to join hands and address some of the biggest issues that we're faced with, and I believe that ARA is a great way to start. Green Africa Youth Organization decided to join the Adaptation Research Alliance because for us, young people have a future that is very uncertain and joining the ARA is important to define a resilient future where young people will live in a very resilient community to the impacts of climate change. And this is a motivation and the background to the work that we do at Gaia. We have with us Katie Harris, Senior Policy Fellow with the Stockholm Environment Institute based in Sweden, who has been with the Adaptation Research Alliance from its early days, and Dr. Vikram Mathur, Director of the Goa-based Transitions Research, who joined the ARA uh, last month. A warm welcome 
to the both of you. Thanks, Aditya. Thanks, Aditya. Thanks for having me on this podcast. Straight off the bat, Katie, tell us what your organization aims to achieve and why it has joined the ARA. So there are a lot of people who work at SCI. We have offices in five continents. So I can't claim to represent or speak for all their views, but a common thread that I see running through many of our conversations is the need we see for a dramatic scaling up of adaptation, both practically but also conceptually in what we think of as adaptation. So adaptation has traditionally been thought of as a local challenge. But while I think everyone here supports locally led adaptation, this framing of climate mitigation as global on the one hand and climate adaptation as local perhaps shields our decision makers from having to recognize that adaptation too is a global responsibility. In today's interconnected world, the impacts of climate change cross borders. They cascade through sectors, they disrupt entire systems. And we've really only just begun to scratch the surface in understanding these sorts of risks, the next generation of climate risks, if you like, and, and how we adapt to them in ways that protect the poorest and most vulnerable. And we also need to recognize that adaptation itself can create winners and losers, that there is a better need to cooperate when it comes to planning and implementing adaptation, both across borders and sectors, and working with those perhaps beyond what we would call the usual suspects, so people in trade and finance and foreign policy, to ensure that in, in advancing adaptation, we're not merely redistributing vulnerability from one group to another, but we're reducing it outright. Vikram, tell us a bit about transitions research and what attracted you to the ARA. And I ask this especially because knowing you, you're part of a large number of networks. Um, and so we want to know that why you thought joining another one, the ARA, made sense for you and your organization. First, a little bit about transitions research and our work in the field of adaptation. Uh, transition research, uh, I think of us as a social science research collective and we are based out of uh, Goa. Uh, we are interested in the question of kind of sustainability transitions, especially in growing mid-sized cities in India. And we work at the interface of technology, society, and sustainability. Uh, in the context of uh, adaptation and resilience, uh, we are interested in three, we have three major pillars to our work. We have, most of our work is focused on cities, uh, and we are very interested in the political economy of resilience and particularly what kind of imaginaries and social imaginaries and visions uh, are shaping resilience planning in Indian cities, but also in South, South Asian cities more broadly. Uh, we work with communities uh, on the ground, particularly in informal set settlements, deploying ethnographic research methods to examine how their lives, how their everyday lives are changing as a result of climate change and looking at those changes in the context of all the other aspects of their lives. Climate change is not the only uh, stressor in their lives. Uh, and I think entering their life, lived experiences 
with the kind of uh, ethnographic gaze uh, and with humility really shapes some of our views on resilience. We also organize the Monsoon Academy every monsoon in Goa uh, on urban resilience, which is a space for co-learning among researchers and practitioners. My interest in, in joining the ARA largely stems from the fact that we are a small organization, but we are really interested in the global politics on adaptation. We are interested in how uh, the discourse is being shaped, and we want to bring uh, the local stories and the local agenda onto a global platform and, 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 and doing that through alliances and through networks is really, uh, really the only way to do it. Vikram, thank you for that. Tell us as practically as possible, what are you expecting from the Adaptation Research Alliance over the next year? Thanks, Aditya. Uh, definitely, uh, I think one of the main uh, things that I'm interested in is, is I'm interested in the global uh, advocacy, especially around the adaptation goal uh, and at the COPS. Uh, and I want to find a way in which uh, ARA can facilitate that. Uh, definitely, uh, already I'm part of the learning exchanges uh, within the ARA uh, and happy to contribute uh, and also learn about new methods uh, and tools. And hopefully this will lead to opportunities for collaborative research uh, with uh, uh, like-minded institutions uh, and actors uh, across the globe. Great, Vikram, thank you. Katie, over to you now. Tell us again, quite tangibly, what the Stockholm Environment Institute expects from the Adaptation Research Alliance over the next year. Thanks, Aditya. Um, so we're expecting lots of opportunities from the ARA over the next year, um, but maybe I'll mention just three for now. So first of all, identifying some of the most pressing demands for new research and evidence that could really propel adaptation from ambition to, to action, uh, particularly in areas that equip local actors with some of the global outlooks they need to be able to forecast and plan adaptation effectively. Secondly, identifying the barriers and opportunities to strengthen collaboration and adaptation. So really complementing SEI's own efforts to, to strengthen regional and global cooperation on adaptation and also the links between fields such as adaptation and DRR. Uh, and third, identifying opportunities to work with others, for us to learn from others, for us to co-create with others. Uh, not only in adaptation knowledge management, but also, as, as Vikram already mentioned, in, in informing and influencing really important policy processes around the UNFCCC, around the global goal and adaptation, so that we really see adaptation get the attention that it deserves. Vikram and Katie, thank you so much for your answers to these questions. Really interesting to hear two different perspectives from two organizations uh, that are working towards similar missions, but are really quite different um, in their in their remit in at the scale in the scale at which they operate. And we're really proud to have the both of you as part of uh, the Adaptation Research Alliance. To end this podcast, I want to put one very important rapid fire question to you. We'll begin with Katie. Katie, in a sentence or less, why do we need an alliance for adaptation? For me, the clue is in the word alliance. So we need much stronger international cooperation on adaptation 
if we are to manage the next generation of climate risks that I've talked about today, that cascade, that cross borders, that catalyze disruption to our global systems. And this starts with the spirit of collaboration that the Adaptation Research Alliance was founded upon. Wonderful. Vikram? I think we need a really strong global goal on adaptation uh, at par with, with the mitigation agenda. And I think an alliance of organizations from around the globe uh, would be in the best position to create a coalition and advocate for one. But we also need a really strong framework on loss and damage. Uh, and, and, and for me, the alliance is a way to influence the success of global uh, efforts. The momentum for the ARA is growing, as is its membership. If you want to join us, you can learn more about membership and eligibility on the ARA website or by sending an email to ARA at southsouthnorth.org. Please check the show notes of this episode for the links. Thank you so much for joining us for this inaugural episode of the Action for Adaptation podcast. Keep your eyes peeled and ears open for our next episode or click the subscribe button so that you don't miss it. And in the meantime, follow ARA News and Updates on Twitter. Until next time, 